Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Aaron, for praying. Let's seek the Lord one more time. Father God, we we do need you, Lord. We ask that your spirit would be here among us, that you would help us, Father. Help me. Lord, I pray that what is said is in accordance with truth. It's in accordance with your word. I pray, Father, your word is lifted up and exalted. Lord, I pray that we would desire your word. We would delight in your word, Father, that we would desire you and we would want to hear from you. Lord, we do pray for those in in this place who don't know you. We pray, Father, that you would have mercy upon them and that you would save them, turning them from their sins and turning them to Christ, that they would see that Jesus is a Savior for sinners and that they would cry out to him. Lord, we want to honor you this day. We want to honor Christ this day. We ask that Jesus would be lifted up today. Turn our hearts to the scriptures and to the truths of your word. Turn our hearts away from empty and vain things. We need you. We ask that you would help us this morning. We ask that your spirit would meet with us. We ask that you would encourage your saints, encourage us to be satisfied in you and and in nothing else. We ask that you would revive our hearts and quicken our minds and have us to be alert to the things of God. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen. So we're going to continue looking through Genesis. Today we're going to be at Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 through 21. And this text that we're going to look at is going to remind us again, as we've seen throughout throughout the book of Genesis, that God is faithful to his people. Through all of their circumstances, God's faithfulness stands sure. And we're going to see the Lord leading Jacob back to Canaan. And that's the way it is with all of God's people. He's faithful to all of his people. And he is actually actively leading all of his people. You can think, well, my life may not be as dramatic as Jacob's or as the other patriarchs of the faith, as the other saints I see in the scriptures. But if the Lord is working in your life, if you are a born again Christian, God is there and and your life is something rather than nothing. It's, it's, it's a life that belongs to Christ. It's a life that you're to live in honor of the Lord. And God is actually actively working in your life. And, and I hope we would see that as we look at these saints in the scriptures and see how God is working in their lives. I hope we can look at our own lives. Now we can see that God is working at, in my life. God is working in, in your life. And we see that God is, is faithful to us. We're going to be reminded in this text that God was faithful to Jacob in spite of the circumstances that he was in. God took care of him in, in spite of the fact that Laban was there changing his salary around, changing his agreements with him, making things difficult for him. And we're also going to see that now Laban's sons are also in there slandering, slandering Jacob. In spite of these difficulties, God is faithful to his saints. God is faithful to Jacob. And the trials that Jacob was in didn't mean that God wasn't faithful to him. So we should not think in a way that says, if God is going to be faithful to me, I need to not have these trials. 
If God is going to be faithful to me, I need to live a trial-free life. Those two things are not antithetical to each other. A life of trials and the faithfulness of God, those two things actually both coexist in the life of the Christian. And we saw those in, in Jacob's life as well. He experienced, he experienced the faithfulness of God and he experienced trials in this life. God's people will experience trials. We'll see that in Jacob's life. We've seen that in Moses' life. We saw that in Isaac's life. In all of the saints' lives. The prophets, they all experienced trials, but they knew the faithfulness of God. Abel. Abel gave sacrifices to the Lord that satisfied the Lord, that were pleasing to God. But the fact that he did a life that was pleasing to the Lord, that didn't mean that he was going to experience a trial-free life. All of God's people will experience trials along with the faithfulness of the Lord. The apostles were hated and persecuted. If anyone could have avoided trials, it was Jesus. But he showed us that even him, the Son of God, God in the flesh, experienced trials. Isaiah the prophet called him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And here we see that Jacob grew to be familiar with trials. Look at one verse before we go to our text. It's there in Genesis chapter 47. In Genesis 47 verse 9, it's the end of Jacob's life. And he's talking to Pharaoh and he talks about his life. And, and in this verse, he basically says that his life was a life full of trials. Genesis 47 and verse 9. Jacob told Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. He's at towards the end of his life here. He says it was few. Well, 130 years isn't few, but it felt few for him. But few and evil. Evil. That's, that's a man who has had a, a difficult life. So he knew trials. And we're going to look at some of them in this text. So I'm dividing this text up into five different parts, and, and I'm hoping that this will help us uh, to understand this text. So the five are, I'm just going to read through them. The first one is Jacob was slandered by, Laban, by Laban's sons. Second, Jacob sent for his wives. Third, Jacob saw God's faithfulness in his life. Fourth, Jacob snuck away from Laban. And fifth, Rachel stole her father's household idols. So first is slandered. By Laban's sons, second, sent for his wives, third, saw God's faithfulness in his life, fourth, snuck away from Laban, and then finally, fifth, she stole her father's household idols. So look at the first one, it's there in verse 1. In Genesis 31 and verse 1, Jacob was slandered by Laban's sons. It says, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. Of course, her accusation wasn't true. It wasn't, it wasn't true. Before Jacob had got there, Laban didn't have very much. He had very little. Remember in the previous chapter, Jacob told Laban in, in Genesis 30 and verse 30, what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. So what we have here is Laban had very little. Jacob arrived. The Lord was blessing Jacob. And the blessings of Jacob overflowed to Laban. So now Jacob and Laban are, are increased in wealth. Well, it was really all of Laban's because Jacob was just his servant working for his wives. But his wealth increased. And then as Laban continued to try to cheat Jacob, 
the Lord continued to bless his servant. He continued blessing Jacob, but he stopped blessing Laban. And then that was evident in the fact that Jacob's part of the livestock was increasing while Laban's was decreasing. And now his sons are, instead of recognizing that their father is doing something wrong, they're blaming Jacob for, for cheating, for doing something wrong. So either they were lying or they were somehow unable to see the obvious. But the fact is they were slandering Jacob. They really were just like their father. And this is another another part in the scriptures where we're reminded that we actually influence one another. Especially those who are closest to us. Especially those who are in our own families. Maybe those in our own church. Maybe our, our, our closest friends. Maybe those, maybe our own children. Our own spouses. We really do influence each other. And, and just it's, it's a reminder that we need to be careful that our influence is for the better rather than for the worse. That we are good, godly influences to each other. So these accusations of, of Laban's sons were slander. And we recently heard about a couple of situations in other churches that are going through difficult trials right now amongst one another because of differences and, and because probably even uh, because of error or perceived error among other brethren. And, and these people need to be careful that because of their differences, it doesn't lead to slander. And we can look at that and we can think, well, we need to pray for people in those difficult situations. And we do. But also, let's look at ourselves and think, well, we also need to be careful that we don't slander one another. If, if we're talking about one another and, and we're saying something about another person, well, be sure that if you're saying something about a brother or sister in Christ, that you wouldn't say that if they were there with you in the room. And if you wouldn't say a, a negative a thing about a brother or sister if they're in the room, well, then don't say that when they're when they're not there. We need to be careful that we don't get involved in slander and we need to maintain unity amongst ourselves. The scriptures say that maintain the unity, it says in Ephesians, that you have from the Lord, maintain that unity. So there is a part for us to play in, in the things that we say and in the things that we do. Be careful that we are not slanderous. Slander is hurtful. It's destructive. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9 says about it, the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. Destroys his neighbor. It, it, that's something serious. You can think, well, I'm not being physically violent. Well, with our mouths and the things that we say, we can bring destruction to our neighbor and bring destruction to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It says in First Peter chapter two verse one, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. That's slander. So we do recognize that slander exists in churches, and we know if you look at your own life and I look at my own life, we've all participated in slander in one point or another, to one extent or another. We're all guilty of that. That's why we're constantly confessing our sins to the Lord and even confessing our sins to one another. But we need to also recognize that it doesn't fit in Christian churches. It exists in Christian churches, but it doesn't belong there. Slander does not belong there. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, a popular verse. Ephesians chapter 4, the ending of the chapter, verses 31 and 32. This is about slander. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, that's slander, be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, 
even as God and Christ forgave you. And this is what I mean by it doesn't, it doesn't fit in Christian churches. The, the Christian life is not just avoiding certain pitfalls, avoiding certain sins. The Christian life is also about what are we looking to? In what direction are we going in? Who are we looking to? Well, for people who are looking to Jesus Christ, if we're remembering our common salvation, and for people who recognize that we have been forgiven, and it says, even as God in Christ forgave you, we are a forgiven people. God has forgiven us of our sins. He's, he's cast our sins aside. Well, why would we, why would we bring up sins of other people? Why would we want to be talking about other people if we're looking to Christ, if we're praying for the lost, if we're praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, if, if we're burdened by the, the burdens of fellow saints, why would we be slanderous? If we're rejoicing in the promises of God and the, the truth of the scriptures, the fact that we, we have God's word, the scriptures aren't, aren't words of men who try to look at God and talk about God. We have the words of God, the mouth of God, the scriptures are called. We have God's word. And we love our God, and, and, and when we love that, we can come together, and we're, we're with other brothers and sisters who have experienced the same things. We're all children of God. We have the same Father. We all have a, a common faith. We all are encouraged when we're with one another. We delight in each other. We're, we're happy when we hear about good news about one another. We're discouraged when we hear about bad news about one another. There, there, there is this Christian family. We all have the same spirit. Well, where does slander fit in there? It, we have to admit, it doesn't. It doesn't. So slander doesn't fit. And let's take this as a, a warning that we see Laban's sons slandering Jacob. The next part of the text there in verse 2, Jacob sent for Rachel and Leah. So now he's ready to go back to Canaan. The Lord has called him to go back to Canaan. He, he's seen the, the um, Laban's been been difficult with him. Now his sons are being difficult. So let's read in verse two. It says, and Jacob saw the countenance of Laban and indeed it was not favorable to him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock. As I said, it's, it's now time for for Jacob to return, he sees that the countenance of Laban had changed. What well, had changed? Because Laban was no longer benefiting for, from Jacob. Remember, he was a, a user, a manipulator. And, and he, he realized Jacob wanted his daughter. Well, well he, he used Jacob. 14 years of labor. It ended up being 20 years before he actually gets to leave there. And he wouldn't have been able to leave if it was not for the Lord actually working things out to actually drive him back to Canaan in spite of in spite of the difficulty that Laban was giving him. So now Laban's difficult, his sons are difficult, and he's, it's time for him to head back. And he sends for Rachel and Leah to speak to him about, to speak to them about this. By the way, if, if you wonder what's the difference between wives and concubines in that time, we see it here. Jacob didn't call his wives and concubines to speak to them. Remember, each of, each of the servants of, of Rachel and Leah also had children for for Jacob. And he didn't call all four of them to, to the field to talk to them. He called his wives to talk to them. The concubines weren't there but to serve and to benefit the, the man in order to have more children. But when it came to 
Jacob, ready to leave and wanting to talk to his wives and bring them with him. He just talked to the wives. It is also believed that in a patriarchal society such as this, that the, the wife was not allowed to speak to her husband. She was not allowed to give her input. She was not allowed to give her opinions or any kind of disagreements that he never consulted her. And yes, that is true. That happened with bad husbands. That was not right. But look what we see here. Jacob is calling his wives to him, to the field, and he's talking with them. He's not talking harshly to them. He's not dictating to them with what they need to do and and how they need to make decisions. He's not just saying, you're coming with me, which Laban would have made that very difficult as we continue to see in the chapter. But he's calling them to the field. He's reasoning with them. He's talking with them. He's telling them about how, how the Lord has taken care of him and provided for him and, and how things have been difficult with Laban and how, how he's now leaving and he's basically trying to appeal to them to win them over to his side. And this is a, a good thing for him to see. And this is really the pattern that the Lord gives us in the scriptures where the husband leads, where the wife follows, where the wife submits to the husband and, and the husband leads the wife and leads the children. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing, as feminists would say or modern-day liberals would proclaim. This is a good thing, and this is the way the Lord has set it up to be. Our Lord's mandate to all husbands is, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So the godly husband will lead his wife and his children in in a way that honors Christ. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And and we, we've seen many husbands failing in their responsibilities through the scriptures. We've seen this in, in Lot. We, we'll see it in Jacob. We've seen it in Isaac. We've seen it in Abraham. We've seen a lot of failing husbands as we're looking through the book of Genesis. But I think this is a time that we can just look at this moment in time and look at what Jacob is doing here with his wives and we can acknowledge that this is a good thing. We can look past the polygamy that the Lord tolerated for that season of time that was wrong. The Lord tolerated it. It is not the right way. But he's. we know his favorite was Rachel, out of Rachel and Leah. But he's not talking to Rachel and then going and talking to Leah. He's bringing both of his wives out there together. And this is actually the first time that we see them agreeing with each other. Remember we saw in the previous chapter they were disagreeing with, with each other. These are two women, two sisters who are hurt because of the sin of polygamy. They're, they're, they're hurt and, and, and they're, they're harsh with each other. They're, they're trying to out, outdo each other and having children for their husband. They're bitter against one another. This is the first time that we actually see them in agreement on something. Agreeing with each other through the leading of their husband, agreeing to follow him and even follow him in, in a potentially dangerous situation, leaving the comforts of their father. Yeah, he, 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 used everything for himself, but at least they knew they had a home there. They had something of security there. That's all that they knew. And Jacob is is really appealing to them to come with him. They they may not ever have got to Canaan as far as they knew. They could have encountered some kind of danger on the way there. But the way he's talking to them, this is this is a good thing. He initiated this conversation with them and and they are 
now deciding, agreeing together to follow Jacob. And this account here got me thinking, got me thinking about about us. And and I would ask men, are are there conversations that you can't have with your with your wives? Because if you have those conversations with them, it'll turn out to be a heated argument because of pride, because of some past sensitivity. Is there going to be anger? Can you talk to your, your, your wife about anything? Wives, can you talk to your husbands about anything? Husbands, would you allow your spouse to talk to you about any subject? Sometimes the, the most important things to talk about are the most difficult things to talk about with one another. Because we have to admit, because of our pride. Because of our differences. And it's easy just to not talk about those things. Are we able to talk about the most important things, things of the Lord? Things of the scriptures, the truths of God's word, doctrine, differences in doctrine. Can we talk to those closest to about those closest to us about these things and not having it erupt into an argument? Can we agree to disagree in a way that honors the Lord in a way that to where we esteem our brethren closest to us or esteem our brethren um, more than ourselves, especially our own spouses, especially our own children, especially those Close to us. Can we talk to those closest to us about the most serious of conversations? Sometimes that's difficult to do. And sometimes it's difficult to talk about the most important things with those who are closest to us. We can talk to a stranger about these things, even if we disagree with the stranger, but it may be hard to do that with those who are closest. So this is a, a good thing for us to see how Jacob brings both of these women who had been arguing in the past, who had bitterness against each other and he brings them together and they are in agreement with each other. This, this, this is a good moment in this family. A verse that I have here is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Our prayers are hindered. That's a, that's a real important verse here. When things are not well between a husband and wife, even husbands and wives who both love the Lord, prayers are hindered because of that. And and they know it. They can sense it. They, they know that, that there's a disconnect there. And because of that disconnect, there's, there's a disconnect between them and the Lord. And, and many times we'll just try to ignore it. We'll try to have our Christianity separate from one another, but that, that, that is not right. That is not wise. That is not good. I'll just encourage all of us. We need to have unity with one another, with those who are closest to us for the sake of our prayers, for the sake of the Lord working in our lives. Our fights and our arguments with our spouses should come to a place where they are less often and less in intensity. And and that shouldn't be because we're not talking to one another, right? We should still talk to each other, but there should be more of a, a unity and more of a, a, a love. We there should there should be love, there should be respect shown from one another and to each other. Well, let's keep reading in our text, starting in verse four. And here's where Jacob saw God's faithfulness in his life, starting in verse four. It says, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable to me as before. 
but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not, did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, God, or if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted. For I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now rise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. So here we have Jacob saw God's faithfulness to him. And here's where the Lord told him that as Jacob in the previous chapter was doing all these tricks in order to get the flocks to be born a certain way, spotted and speckled with all these streaks. None of that was working. It was really the Lord miraculously having them to be born that way in order for for Jacob's livestock to increase. And as the Lord was taking away Laban's livestock and giving it to Jacob, that's what the Lord was doing. It was God who was blessing Jacob. And God showed him that he was blessing Jacob. And, and Jacob knew that the Lord was doing that. Even in this difficult difficult time, Jacob knew that the Lord was showing his faithfulness into him by taking care of him. And we see God's faithfulness here here in two words there in verse 7 of our text. In verse 7, look what Jacob says. He says, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Those Those two words together are repeatedly throughout the scriptures, but God. We see that Repeatedly, time and time again, we see that a Christian, a believer is in a certain situation, a certain circumstance, but God, but God in, in, in some way or another is working things out, even if necessary, changing circumstances or necessary, changing the man, changing the woman in order to work in his life. And that's what the Lord did here. Laban was making things difficult, changing his wages, he says even ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt Jacob. But God, God is constantly intervening in the lives of his people. And that's what we need to look for. Not look at our circumstances all the time. Not be struggling and frustrated because of what we are going through. We need to be looking to the Lord and and trusting in the Lord and seeing those blessings. You know, the the saint, count your blessings. Well, that's a saint because many times we're not looking at the things that the Lord is doing for his people. Many times we're just looking at at the struggles. Peter looked at the ways rather than looking at Christ. Many times we're looking at the struggles that we're going through. We need to look through, look to Christ and look at how God is intervening in our lives and how he's Changing things in our lives. If God didn't intervene in Jacob's life, he would have been there forever. 
a lifelong slave serving Laban, not where he was supposed to be when he was really supposed to come back to Canaan. Because that's where God promised to bless Abraham and all of his descendants in that land of Canaan. We saw that with Joseph, but God there in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Joseph said, but as for you, you meant evil against me when he was speaking to his brothers, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as at this day to save many people alive. But God meant what people did for evil against him. God meant it for good. In Ephesians 2, the, the famous one tells us that we were born in that we were dead in trespasses and sins. It says how we were children of wrath, just like the others, but God. Ephesians 2, 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Again, we were lost, we were dead in our trespasses, but God intervened in our lives. Salvation is, is, is because of what the Lord has done in our lives. He is the Savior. Not we ourselves. It's not a work that He has done. It's, it's the Lord working in us. It's the Lord working in all of His people. And then in our text, we can also see how the Lord is actively leading Jacob through all of this. Through all the circumstances, throughout his, this time in his life where he's experiencing trials, God is actively leading him. We see that in the text in verse 3. It says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. In verse 5, Jacob knew that God was with them in spite of what Laban was doing to him. In spite of the fact that Laban was opposed to Jacob, he said in verse 5, but the God of my father has been with me. Then in verse 7, but God did not, did not allow Laban to hurt me. In verse 9, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. This is the way that the Lord is with all of his people, actively leading them along. And, and I really want to encourage us as we're looking at this. I said it already earlier that even in our own lives, that God is working in our lives. We need to stop and look and, and see where God is working in our lives. Do we know this to be the case, that God is working in our lives? Do, do you know this to be the case, that God is working in your life? Do you see God encouraging you? Do you see God answering prayer? Do you see God helping you? Do you see God strengthening you? Do you, do you see God changing you and, and helping you with, with temptation? Showing you the way out of the temptation so you don't have to continue in a life of sin where God is freeing you from sin. Do you see this? The leading hand of God in our lives and God's faithfulness to His people, and including you and including me. God's faithfulness in our lives. Do we recognize this leading? And then let's keep reading verse 17. Here we see that Jacob snuck away from Laban. Starting in verse 17, it says, then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained and paid in Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep. So Jacob had to sneak away from Laban, and, and I don't think he did anything wrong by doing this. He had already told him in the pre, we see it in the previous chapter that he was ready for, he was ready to leave. He was ready to head back to, to his homeland, his hometown. And this was years before that. And Laban never told him no, but he kept changing things on him. And he would have been stuck there much longer than 20 years if he didn't just end up leaving. So 
This, this, this wasn't a bad thing that Jacob did. He, he kept trying to appeal to Laban for a proper send-off. He, he made it clear to him that he wanted to leave, but Laban wouldn't let him go. And then now that Laban's countenance had changed because he was no longer benefiting from Jacob, it was getting very bad. It was time for Jacob to leave. And then Jacob was told by the Lord that he needed to leave. And what do we do when God commands us to do something, but maybe someone in authority tells us no? Well, we, we must obey the Lord. Rather than staying there, rather than not doing what God tells us to do, we must obey the Lord. And then we see here that Jacob knew that it was time for him to leave. How did he know it was time for him to leave? What did God do? God told him in a dream. God spoke to him in a dream that it was time for him to go. So we see here that God speaks to his people in dreams. We know God has spoken to his people in visions. But how does God tell us what to do? His word. What about dreams and visions? What, what are authoritative ways that God directs his people? What are specific ways in our lives that God leads his people? How do we know the voice of God? How do we know God's leading? We see it throughout the scriptures. God is leading them in dreams and in visions. We see that with Jacob right here. But how do we know that for ourselves? How do, how do I know that I'm where I need to be? How do I know that I shouldn't move from here to another place? Do I need a, the Bible? Do, do I need to seek dreams? Do I need to seek visions? Do I need to seek some kind of impression? Some kind of inner peace? Some people seek that way. Should, should, should I, should I pray and, and wait for some kind of fuzzy feeling? Some kind of burning in the bosom? How do we know God's specific direction in our lives? And yes, it's gonna only be through the scriptures. Only be through the scriptures. There are times where Christians will experience peace because they are walking with the Lord and, and they're walking in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and, and they know that things are well between them and their Savior. So they can feel some kind of peace and that can help them. But many people have, have felt peace to do something that was very simple. The scriptures talk, about, talk to us about in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And yes, we need to seek godly counsel, seek good counsel. But again, Seeking counselors, that's outside of the scriptures. Just as some kind of inner peace is outside of the scriptures. Many counselors have led people in bad directions, in sinful ways, in rejection against God. And I would say, be very careful when you're following God's leading by any authoritative means other than the scriptures. It has to only be by the scriptures. Jacob didn't have the scriptures, but we have the full canon of God's word. And God led him in a dream. The Lord came to him and told him in a dream that he needed to head back to Canaan. But the, script, the scriptures don't tell us anywhere that we need to look for dreams in order to know what we need to do in our lives. You can think, well, I believe the Lord is calling me to Alaska. And, and, you, can, and you can believe that. And that could be a, a good belief. That may not be a bad thing, but the moment you say, I know God is calling me to Alaska, that's where I'll say, be very careful. Someone will say, well, for me, I know God is calling me to Alaska. Can I have that kind of assurance in my soul? Well, it could be the Lord leading you there, but until you see a verse in the scriptures that has Alaska in it, you can't know for sure. Like Jesse with Cambodia. Yeah. 
Yeah. Did the board leave you over there? For a year and a half, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. And we are led by providence. We are. And we see that that's in the scriptures. It talks about being led by the spirit. But when it comes to the issue of providence, we just need to be very careful when we're going outside of the scriptures. And we know this. This is just a good reminder for us to be careful as we see these. Because good Christians have wondered many times, well, I see this happening in the book of Acts. I see Christians receiving dreams and visions. Well, how come I'm not getting any dreams or visions? Well, the scriptures don't tell us. To look for dreams and visions. Scriptures don't tell us that every Christian will receive dreams and visions. And because of that, we need to go based on the authority that God has given to us. And that's his word, his revealed word to us. Stay in the scriptures. God does lead us in specific ways. And, and really, I'm thankful for God's leading in, in specific ways. And I can, it's easier to look back, right? 2020 vision is when we're looking in the rear view mirror and seeing what God did in my life. And we can learn from that and we can learn from how God taught us and, and, and how we learn and how we, how we learn from it and didn't learn from things and how we need to learn from things the next time. But we just need to be careful to say, I know God is doing this certain thing in my life unless we know that it's, it's where God has placed us right now. People get into so much error when they look for God's voice outside of the scriptures. Yes, I, I know whom I have believed in. I, I think he knows that because he has believed in, in him. That's true. It's It's just... If, if we're looking for direction from the Lord and something that's not spelled out in the scriptures, then that's where we need to be careful. But yeah. Let's keep reading there in verse 19. Rachel stole her father's household idols. It says, Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So we're not told why Rachel stole these idols. We don't know. Many people have guessed. And there, and there are some guesses that, I guess in all of these guesses, they either, one of them's true or several of them are true. Or maybe not. But here are some of the, uh, of what people have thought why she stole these household idols. It could have been to spite her father, to get back at him for his mistreatment of her and her, her sister. She knew that he loved those idols, so she just took him to spite him. It could have been a, a last attempt in order to rid her father of the idols, an attempt to, or she knew that they were, they were not acceptable to Jacob's God. So as she's leaving, she knows, well, these are sinful. This is not good what my father has been doing. So in an effort to rid him of them and to help him out, she took them with her. That could have been, that's, that's been mentioned to be something. They could have been made of some kind of valuable material as idols were in those days. And as she said that he has completely consumed all of their wealth. Well, she could have taken them because, uh, to, to replenish some of that that she thought was owed to her. 
She could have taken them because she trusted in them for fertility. Or she could have taken them for added protection. She grew up with the superstitious belief that having those idols there were, were good. They, they were trusted in, they were prayed to, and it could have been uh, some, some kind of lingering superstitious belief in her that maybe she needed to bring them along for their journey. The journey could have been dangerous. They could have encountered thieves. They could have encountered sickness, hunger. They could have ran out of food and water. And she could have thought, well, I, I might need these more than my father needs them. So a little bit of added security. And that's really the, what, what I lean towards. Of course, we don't know. And I don't know, but I think maybe that's why. Because of some lingering trust in them. She brought them for added protection. She grew up with, with, with that kind of idolatry. And, and that tends to be the case for people. We can wonder. We can wonder, well, how could she have brought these idols with her if she's now following Jacob and following Jacob according to what is God said to do, returning back to Canaan, even as, as she said to Jacob, whatever God has told you, do it. And now she's following him and, and leaving her father, leaving her old life and now following Jacob to Canaan. How could she bring these idols of her father with her? We can think, well, that sounds inconsistent. How could she be this inconsistent with her faith? But then we can look at our own lives. We have to recognize we're inconsistent with our faith. When we trust in other things, when we trust in idols, when we lean upon anything other than the Lord, other than only trusting in God, that's where our inconsistency lies. And that doesn't prove that that's why she took it. But as I looked at this, I thought, well, we do that as Christians. We do that as Christians. We have idols, and it doesn't need to be statues like what, what she had brought with her. The Lord tells New Testament Christians in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. To New Testament Christians, we still have our idols. We still have things that we trust in. And when we're not trusting in, in the Lord, that's what we're trusting in. And, and we know that as we keep, keep reading in the text, those idols nearly cost her her life. And this could be a warning to each one of us to lay down our idols, to cast our idols aside, to give all in order to follow Christ. And that's the Christian life, right? That's, that's the struggle. That's our sanctification, uh, cutting those, those weeds down. And as they continue to grow in our life and as we see them in our heart, cutting them down and ridding ourselves of these idols, these things that we trust in, these fears that we hold on to, these, these things that we, we lean on that probably these ways that we were before we were Christian. And we're still relying upon them. But when we look at the scriptures, we see nothing of them in our lives. It's just difficult for us to rid ourselves of those who in order in order to have just a, a clear path as we're following the Lord according to the scriptures. Ridding ourselves of these idols. We need to do that. We need to do that. <laughs> we can't look at that and wonder, <clears throat> how could she be that inconsistent and do something so so wrong? We We do that too. And it's a reminder, we need to rid ourselves of our idols. So as we're continuing to look at the scriptures and look at God's leading and in his people's lives, we see their sin, we see their, their good and their bad, and we learn from the good. We, we, we learn not to follow after the bad. 
But we also see how God is a personal God with his people and how he's actively working in the lives of his people. And let's look at our own lives as well and see how God is actively working in my life and how God is actively working in your life and and see what we need to do if we need to change things in order to honor Christ and in order to live for the Lord. As God led Jacob, he is leading us. Well, let's pray.